name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. People do dumb things. I, yeah. I asked Ann, I said, what is the one dumbest thing I've done? She says, the one? <laughs> so, so uh, no, actually, she didn't really say that. But I did ask her for the dumbest thing. She said, I don't know. But I was thinking about it. What's one of the dumbest things I've ever done? And, and I remember it came to mind. And I've shared, I've owned it. So I'm going to own it again this morning. One of the dumbest things I, I ever did took place probably right underneath the choir room back there. We were building these buildings and, and we had leftover material and we were going to burn it so we had to backhoe, dig a big hole in the back back here. And, and for those of you that are our guests and new folks, you, you don't haven't heard this story. But anyway, we put all the, all the leftover materials in that hole. So there was wood and insulation and sheetrock and we were going to burn it. And it got filled up and it was a deep hole and I decided that it was time to burn it. So I took one of the gas cans out there and I began to pour gas in it and I, and I went around the outside of the hole like this just pouring gas in and I said well that's not quite enough I wanted to burn up good so I put some more gas in it and then I went to light it and you know how when you light like where you put gasoline on it goes poof right so I thought okay um, maybe it's not good that I stand on the side of this and so I made a wick with the gasoline probably about five to ten feet away from the hole and I thought that'll do and I put the gas tank down and I lit the, I lit the wick and it's heading towards the hole. And I, don't, I, I think it was the Holy Spirit. But I decided to pick up the gas tank and walk this way as the flame is going that way. And when it hit the hole, everything in the hole didn't burn. It came out of the hole. I mean, sheetrock. <laughs> it was dumb, but I got to admit, at the time I was scared to death. It was dumb. It was stupid. The sheetrock, the wood, nothing burned. Everything just came out of the hole. And I have a vivid memory of, she, of insulation hanging from the tree that was nearby, right? So, uh, and uh, I remember, you know, you, I know you've heard this story. Some of you have. But Donna and Ann, we lived over here. And Donna lived half a mile on the road or whatever. And she goes, what was that? They were on the phone. And she heard it. And, uh, and the people over here at the Bacon's Castle Museum heard it. And they came. I, I later learned that it was probably the equivalent of a stick or two of dynamite that what I did. So... <laughs> Maybe that's why God chose one of the dumbest and dullest and most defenseless animals of all to represent us. Mark Todd, who was a pastor, and Philip Keller, who was a scientist, writer, and an ex-sheep herder, they got together and they wrote a book, and they came up with characteristics of sheep. And uh, so let me just share a couple of with them uh, with you. Sheep are notoriously, they're notorious followers. They follow one another. If one runs out in the street, they're all going to run out in the street uh, with uh, the one that's running ahead of them. They seem to mindlessly follow. I read one story of a, of a sheep uh, rancher who's heard, I mean, they went off a cliff following each other just one by one running off the cliff. Sheep are helpless. They don't have any defense but to run and they can't run very fast. They're almost blind. They can only see 15 yards ahead of themselves. And, uh, and they're, no, they're known for being really dumb. They're known for not having much intelligence in the, in the animal kingdom. So they'll graze a hill until they've, they've eaten every bit of vegetation and then they begin to eat the dirt and they don't move somewhere else. 
They will walk a trail, the same trail, until they have rutted it deep and they won't go off of that. They pollute the ground with their waste to the point that it's really contaminated with parasites. They have no homing instincts. So therefore, like a dog or cat, and I know many of you have done this, you've caught a stray cat and you've taken it a couple of miles down the road and you think you're free of it, only to find out a few days later it's made its way back to your house, right? So sheep don't have that instinct. And so if they get lost, if somebody doesn't come and find them, they're not going to find their way back. And then this is my favorite. They're called cast sheep, but adult sheep can roll over on their backs. And once they roll over on their backs, they, they get the center of gravity or whatever. They can't get off their back. I mean, you can lay on your back and roll over. Most of us can anyway. So, uh, and my dog does it all the time as well, right? But, uh, but sheep can't. So if they roll over, they're called cast sheep. And if, if somebody doesn't roll them over, they can't get back up on their feet. And their, their stomach begins to produce gas, and they will die within a few hours. And, and yet sheep continue to do that. So I don't know if that's why God metaphorically chose sheep to represent us, but he did. Don't you really wish he'd have chosen an eagle, <laughs> right? You know, like, you guys are like eagles, not, not like sheep. Now, he does, there's two verses in the scripture where he kind of associates us with eagles. He said, you're going to mount up with wings like eagle, but eagles, about 200 times he uses sheep to, uh, to describe us. So, sheep need a shepherd, Sheep need a shepherd. I mean, it's kind of a, a really clear thing in, in, in sheep herding lambs. They know sheep need a shepherd. And so one of the most familiar passages in the Bible for all of us, is, I'm sure, is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So God calls us sheep, and then he wants to be our shepherd. In fact, the text that we're going to read this morning is all about the good shepherd, all about the true shepherd. So open your Bibles to John chapter 10 this morning. If you happen to be first time with us today, we're studying through the Gospel of John on, on Sunday mornings. And last Sunday, for context, Jesus has healed a man who's been blind from birth. And so this, this gentleman hadn't been able to see, and Jesus opens his eyes in an unconventional way. If you remember, he makes mud out of his spit, puts him on the man's eyes, and then says, go wash. And when he does, the man, the man can see. So it's in that context. At the end of chapter 9, the, the Pharisees who are listening in, they say, we're not blind, are we? You know, Jesus, we're not blind, are you? And Jesus says, you know, if you claimed to not be able to see, no, you wouldn't be blind. But because you claim to see, yeah, you guys, are, you guys are blind. And it's in that context that we read the following verses. The exchange between Jesus and those Pharisees is continuing. Or actually between Jesus and everyone who is in the temple court that's listening. So in verse 1 of chapter 10, I'm reading from uh, the, the Christian Standard Version, if you want to look it up on your phone or, or tablet. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all uh, his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Indeed, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. 
I imagine most of you know this because you've probably been taught it before. But in the east, shepherds would, would keep flocks at night quite often in a central pen. There may be as many as half a dozen herd of sheep in this pen. And they would be guarded by a gatekeeper. There would be one entrance into this, into this pen. And the, the sheep would all mingle together. In the morning, the shepherds would return to this sheepfold. And when they did, they would call their sheep. And their sheep would know their voice. And the other sheep would not come out. But the sheep that belonged to that shepherd, they would come out when they heard that particular shepherd's voice. And that's the picture that Jesus paints for the Pharisees in, in the midst of dealing with this blind man and, and healing him. And in this section, we learn uh, Jesus gives us the marks of a true shepherd. There have been many men who have claimed to be the shepherd of God throughout the ages. And uh, men like Mohammed and Buddha and, and, and uh, Confucius and a whole bunch of other religious men throughout the ages. Maybe not wouldn't have used these terms, but they would say, we are the shepherd of God. How, how do we know the true shepherd is? And then more specifically for us, even, you know, we, we're looking for the true shepherd and we believe he's Jesus, right? But there's, I mean, which Jesus is he? Because there's a lot of Jesuses out there. Did you know that? That the Jesus of Mormonism is different than the, the Jesus of the, of the Bible? The Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses is, is different than the Jesus that, that I would, would believe the scripture reveals? The, the Jesus of the Scientologists and of the Christian scientists, they're, they're all different. Which is the true Jesus? I mean, which is the true shepherd? So Jesus in this text, in this little illustration, he gives us three, he gives us three marks of the true shepherd. Let's look at them real quick. Here's the first one. He enters through the door. He says the false shepherds come a different way. They don't come by the, the door. He says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So what's the door? Well, in this case, metaphorically speaking, he's talking about the entrance to the sheepfold. So he says the true shepherd comes by the way he ought to come. I think what Jesus is referring to is that the true shepherd is going to come the way God has told us he's going to come. He's not going to come a different way. He's going to come the way God has told us that he's going to come. And God has told us how the shepherd would come. For those of us who, who hold to the, to the Old Testament and the New Testament, we would say the Old Testament predicted what he would be like, who the shepherd would be when he came. For instance, we would say that in the scripture, in the, in the prophet Micah, he would say that the shepherd was going to be born in Bethlehem. We would say that Isaiah said he would be born to a virgin. Uh, there were many other prophecies in the Old Testament about, about the Messiah who was going to come. And Jesus says the true shepherd's going to come by, by the means by which God has said he's going to come. Anybody else who comes a different way, he's not the true shepherd. He is a thief and a robber. Jesus is claiming he's come the way God has, has said he's going to come. The second mark is to him the gatekeeper opens. Now, I think the gatekeeper in this case Jesus is referring to is John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, the Bible says that God was going to send a precursor to the Messiah. And so when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he said, you know, they asked, you remember this from our study? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? Are you the prophet? Are you the shepherd? And he said, no, I'm none of those things. He says, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm a voice of the one who's saying, prepare the way for the shepherd. Prepare the way for the Messiah who's going to come. And so Jesus says to him, the gatekeeper opens. And I believe 
I believe that Jesus is referencing the work of John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, prepare the way of the Lord. And then when Jesus came on the scene, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth and John, of the world. And John, John recognized, and, and if you would, he opened the gate to the Lord Jesus. And then the third, the third thing that Jesus says in this first you know, metaphorical analogy is he says, here's, the, here's another mark of the, of the true shepherd. He says, the, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. In other words, what he says is that his sheep would recognize his voice. Now, in John chapter 6, we, we read that, that the Father gave his, his sheep, his children, if you would, to Jesus. And I told you before that what I think that means is that everyone who has put their faith in God, everyone who, of the Jews who had followed God by faith, God the Father gave them to Jesus. They recognized Jesus as coming from the Father. Those Jews who were in rebellion against God before Jesus ever came on the scene, I think the Bible says pretty clearly in Romans chapter 9 through 11 and other places that God was hardening their hearts. He was speaking in parables. He was hiding the truth from them lest they hear and believe, right? So, so here Jesus is saying his own sheep amongst the Jews, those who had faith in God, they recognize his voice. And he says, and he leads, he leads them out. Now, he leads them out of what? We could talk about that. But there's four related truth to leading them out that I want you to notice in the text itself. As, as they, he knows their name and he leads them out. Here's, here's what I want you to notice. First of all, and again, I'm being a little bit repetitious, but he says, it says he knows his sheep by name. Now, we just sang a few minutes ago about how the Lord has invited us. I can't remember how the words go, but, but he's invited us into a friendship with himself. He's made us his enemy into his friend. And, and here it says that the Lord Jesus knows our name. I can tell you what, I can be in a big crowd, big crowd of people. And I can be busy doing my own thing. I can be at a carnival. I can be just lots of people. Everybody's busy. It's really loud. And someone says, hey, Jimmy. You know what happens? I turn and I look because I heard my name. Somebody knows me. And that's what, that's what Jesus says here, the true shepherd. He knows our name. I've commented on this quite a bit, and again, one of the perils of being somewhere for a long time, you've heard so many of my stories, but, but I remember when Mary Stamey first sang, He Knows My Name. I wish, some, I wish one of you ladies, one of you men would sing that song for us again. It's a beautiful song, but the words go like this, I have a father, he calls me his own, he never leaves me no matter where I go. He knows my name, he knows my every thought, he sees each tear that falls, he hears me when I call. I love the line, he knows my name. And the music that goes with that particular line is just extremely uh, poignant. The second thing, he says, he leads them out. And again, this is a metaphor. So if you can picture this, Jesus says he's the true shepherd who comes. He comes through the door to the gatekeeper, who's John the Baptist. And, he, and, and John says, yes, you're the, you're the shepherd. Get your sheep. And he says he leads them out. So he calls them by name, and they come out. And they come out of that, and they follow him. And then it says he leads them out. So where is he leading them? Well, I mean, in... in 
Setting the metaphor aside, taking a shepherd with his sheep, where's he going to lead them? He's leading them to good pastures. He's leading them to good stuff, right? Metaphorically speaking, what does Jesus mean when he says he's going to lead them out? Well, I think he's going to lead them out of the false teaching of the Pharisees. He's going to lead them out of the blindness, the spiritual blindness they've been in. He's going to lead them out of, of all kinds of things. But the one thing that I want to, I just want to, I want to just talk about one thing that he's going to lead us out of when when we follow him. He's going to lead us out of selfishness and self-centeredness. I'm not sure why I'm picking that. I mean, this is where I guess the heart of 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 the preacher who's proclaiming the word of God, this, this is where his heart, or his heart comes in. But, but in my case, I, I, what, what, what I want to share with you is when he comes and he calls us by name and he leads us out, he's leading us out of a selfishness and a self-centeredness. Can I tell you, that that's the big thing that the world struggles with. Everybody is selfish and, and self-centered but from the start. It's part of the inheritance that we got from Adam's fall. We got a nature that's bent towards self. And so everything in the world says, me first, me first, it's all about me. Well, I tell you, Jesus wants to lead us out of that one self-centeredness and he wants us to focus on others. So when he's leading me out, he's leading me out of selfishness. I had a great joy this week. And I was, I was with my mother um, one day and she said, hey, I found your dad's journal. She said, I've read it. And, you know, would you like it? You know, I'm just going to I guess we'll just throw it away unless you want it. And I said, no, I, I want it. And, and dad started this journal back in 1968 when we were in Costa Rica and dad was in language school. And there was this one particular entry that I want to read you. And dad is, dad is lamenting the selfishness of his fellow missionaries. He doesn't specifically say what it is. But he's lamenting the selfishness of the missionaries that are in language school learning Spanish. And this is what he wrote. Maybe none of us can really get out of the shell of self-interest. But if we cannot, what hope is there for a world which does not know him who said, deny yourself? You know, when, when a person comes out and begins to follow Jesus, he, he leads us out of that selfishness and he leads us into an other's an others-ness. In fact, the Bible says we're to consider others as more important than ourselves. We're not to look out for our own interests, but we're to look out for the interests of others. In fact, I, I, I think I'm right in saying this, but, but our Christian faith, I think, is, well, I know this is for sure, it's an others-centered religion, if you would. It's an others-centered response to the God we believe exists. And we, we are all about others. I'm not sure that, that any other faith in, in the world has that same othersness. And maybe it does. But, but definitely our Christian faith is others-centered. The third thing he says, it says he goes before them. He goes before them. He leads you out, and then he says he goes before them. So remember the, remember the analogy. So the shepherd comes to the sheepfold. He's got a whole bunch of sheep in there, and he calls his sheep, calls them by name, and they come out, and they follow him. And then he says, I go before them. And so the shepherd is never driving the sheep. 
the, the shepherd is never driving the sheep. I just remembered a story of uh, some, fr- some friends who were visiting over in, uh, in Israel. And there was, a, there was this guy behind the sheep, and he was driving the sheep. And this person said, hey, I always heard that the shepherd leads the sheep. And, uh, you know, there's that guy driving the sheep from behind. And, and the bus driver said, yeah, that's the butcher. <laughs> so the butcher drives them, the shepherd leads them, right? And so uh, the, shepherd, the shepherd is out in front of them. And, and I had this thought. Here's what, here's what Jesus is saying. I mean, he's always out in front of us. He goes where we're going. You know, I, I had this thought. If there was anybody here new this morning... If you're going to a new place where you don't know anybody and you're going to walk in the door and you, you, you just kind of got butterflies, right? Because you're going someplace, you don't know the people. How, what are they going to say? How are they going to treat me? What are, they going to, what are they going to ask me to do? You got butterflies. Here's the neat thing about Jesus. There's not a place I go in tomorrow that he's not already been. Because you see, God stands outside of, outside of time, right? So whatever is tomorrow, God already knows it. Now, I don't mean to imply by that that God's the cause of all that happens tomorrow. I don't, even, I don't even want to imply that God is not just, He's not the cause. I don't think He's necessarily controlling as in He's making everything that happens tomorrow happen the way it's going to happen. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this, that He's always in my tomorrow ahead of me. So He always knows what's coming tomorrow. He always knows the difficulties. He always knows the good things. He's always ahead of me because He leads me. He's out in front of me. And the fourth thing he says, he says, And a stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him, but the voice, but, but they know his, his voice. They do not know the voice of a stranger, but they know the voice of the shepherd. And they become familiar with the shepherd's voice. The sheep do. And so when he calls them, they, they know him. And, you know, I can't, I can't put my finger on it, but the neat thing about walking with Jesus is you get to hear his voice. And you get to know when it's him talking to you. You get to know when he's the one who's telling you and impressing and, and you or and telling you to do this or whatever. And, and you get to distinguish between, you know his voice. You know when God is prompting you uh, on the inside to do something. And that's the picture that Jesus says, he is the true shepherd. Now, the text tells us that the Pharisees don't follow. They don't get it. So Jesus goes on in verses 7 through 10. He says again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they might have life and have it in abundance. Now here's a little bit different picture, but it's the same shepherd sheep analogy, okay? And in this particular picture, so shepherds would be out in the countryside and they would oftentimes, they would build these things. I've got one of, one, there's one right there in the picture, okay? So they would build those things with rocks like this, or they would build them out of thickets or, or thorn bushes or whatever, and they would leave an opening, and then the shepherd at night would sleep in the opening so that the, the sheep couldn't come out, and because that way wolves wouldn't go in. And that's the analogy that Jesus now uses. He says, I'm the door to the shepherd fold, right? He said, in other words, he who comes in through the door, i.e. me, he, what does he say? He says he finds, he finds good pasture. He, uh, he finds safety. Let's, let's read it again. He says, I'm the gate. All who came before me, they were thieves and robbers. They didn't come through the entrance. They came over the backside. They're thieves and robbers. I am the gate. Anyone who enters by me will be saved. In other words, the safe place 
The place where God is going to rescue us is in the sheepfold. And the way you get in the sheepfold, he says, I'm the gate. You come through me. That's how you get in. And he says, and if you come through me, he said, you can come in and you can go out and you'll find pasture. The thief comes to steal and destroy. I have come to give life and to give it in its abundance. I am the door, Jesus says. I'm the way which, by which people find, find life, find he says actually three things here. He's, he's talking about the true shepherd. He, he says, I'm the way you find a relationship with God, but as the door, you know, I, there's three things I think that he's saying here. It's a beautiful analogy. Number one, he says, as you go in and out, you, you'll find security. I think that's what he's saying. You find security. You go to the pasture. I, I'm the door. So I think he's talking about security. I think he's talking about liberty because you can go in and out. Listen, we're, we're, the Bible says we're like sheep amongst wolves, right? We're like sheep amongst wolves. How can we ever feel secure in a world full of wolves? Well, it's because Jesus is the gatekeeper. And he says, I'm always going to be with you. I have all power and all, I have all authority. I'm always going to be with you. I'm the gate. As you go in and through me, hey, you're, you're always, I'm always with you. There's both, there's both security and there's liberty. And the whole idea of going out, he says, you'll find good pasture. And I think that has to do with... Um, that has to do with nourishment and sustenance and just growth. You're going to find all the things you need as you come through me, the, the, the gate to, to the to sheepfold. Now we come upon a verse in this context that is probably one of the most famous verses in, in the New Testament. It's the one where Jesus said, I've come that people might have life and that they might have it abundantly. So I, here, here's what I think that means. You know, let me, I think it's the two parts that we've been, that I've been wrestling with. You guys know this. I, I, I have tended, I have tend, tended, I have had a tendency to swing the pendulum too far, and and, and the pendulum swing for me is that I've, I've focused on the fact that Jesus said, "I am, I've come to give you life, right? I've come to give you life," and I talk about so, so often how Jesus came to give us eternal life, that he came to help us conquer death, so that when I die, that's not the end of me, that he's going to resurrect me back to life again, and this time it will be to a life that never ends, to a life that never dies, to a life that is immortal, eternal, and it's going to be with him in his kingdom. And you know, and, and again, I can't help it, it's because of what Ann and I have been through, that that's where the pendulum swung for me, or, or went for me, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring it back because this is what he said. He says, I've come that you might have life. And I think that's talking about the eternal life. But he says, but that you might have it in abundance. And I think that's what, what Jesus wants to do for us now in this life. That we can have abundance of life now where we live. Now, the prosperity teachers on TV, they're, they're always saying that the abundant life is the rich life. I'm serious. That's that. Well, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about Joel for just a second. You know, Joel doesn't just talk about financial prosperity, but he talks about, he talks about abundance in life and, 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 you know, good being, you know, good, good vibes in life and all that. And, and I don't really want to contradict that. But, but I think that I don't want to contradict the, the part where he talks about how, you know, life is not meant to be totally lived in, in depression and discouragement. I think he's right there, okay? But I tell you, Jesus told us that life is not found in the abundance of possessions. 
Life is not found in being rich, everyone, and the abundance of life is not found there either. And that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't want to provide for us and all of that. I'm simply trying to say that the abundance of life that he's talking about here is, is, has nothing to do with money. It has, to do with, it has to do with a life that is full and meaningful and joyful and a life that's got peace and a life that's got purpose and meaning. He said, I've come to give you an abundant life, a life where you feel, feel full. And, and I mean full food. I mean, feel, you feel full. <laughs> you, you feel full of, of, of him and you feel full of all the goodness that is in the Lord. Our, our God is good, and he wants to just, he wants to fill your heart. And I'm sitting here, and I'm looking around, and I, and I know the suffering that some of you are in in this very moment. And, and I'm thinking, wow, Jimmy, <laughs> does this apply to them? And it does apply to you. I don't, care, I don't care what kind of situation you're in. Jesus said, I've come that you might find abundance in life even when you're suffering. And that abundance is going to be in joy. It's going to be in peace. And it's going to be in purpose and meaning. It's going to be him filling, filling your soul. Jesus is the true shepherd that wants to shepherd your soul. He wants to rescue you, protect you, feed you, give you joy, and fill your heart. That leads us to the last part of this text, and it's and, and this is where the analogy goes from, or yeah, the analogy goes from Jesus talking about him being the true shepherd to him now being the good shepherd. Let's read verses eleven through verse eighteen. This is this is the last little section, guys. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. I've said this often. I pray about this often. God is a good God. God is the first uncaused What's that? What does that say? He's the first uncaused cause, right? God has always been. He doesn't, and I know I'm talking about things that we can't even really grasp in our minds, but God's always been. No beginning, no end. No one created him. He's just always been God. And here's what I want you to know about him. God is good. God is good. God chooses to describe himself as he says, I, God is love. Now I tell you that because I want you to realize that God could have been something else. God could have been capricious. God could have been malicious. God could have been a, a God who just wanted to create us to just torture us and make our lives absolute misery. That's how God could have been because no one created him. He's just who he is. So I want you to grab hold of that. That's who he could have been, but that's not who he is. God is good. God is, God is good and God is loving. And Jesus says, I am a good shepherd. 
I'm not a bad shepherd. I am a good shepherd. And to illustrate that, he gives a story. He gives a story about a wolf that attacks a sheep herd. And, and, in, this, and in this story, the hireling runs because the cost is too great. And really, the sheep aren't his. There's no invested interest in the sheep at all. So the hireling is just in it for the money. And he runs. He runs from, from the wolf. Jesus says, I'm not like the hireling. I am the good shepherd. And when he tells him the good shepherd, he gives, him, he gives us some marks of what he means by that. Let me point them out to you. Number one, Jesus is the good shepherd. Listen, because he cares for the sheep. That's what he says in verse 13. He says, this happens because he's a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. By contrast, Jesus is saying, I care about the sheep. The hireling's just doing it for a job. The hireling's just doing it for some other reason. The shepherd intrinsically values the sheep and he is willing to interpose his life. He cares for them. You know, if you want to know if somebody cares for you, here's how you can know it. If the cost gets great and they run, then they really didn't care for you. But if the cost is great and they stay with you, then they care for you. So, so Jesus says, you know, the good, I'm good because I care for my sheep. It doesn't matter, how, doesn't matter how much cost. I don't care what I have to put up with. I care for my sheep. And some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to remind yourself of that, that God cares for you. That whatever you're in, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're suffering today, Jesus, the good shepherd, cares for you. He's not running. He's not leaving you. It might feel that way because you're suffering, but he's not left you, and he's not going to leave you. And if you'll look to him, if you'll look to him, if you'll trust him, he'll, he'll give you what you need to live abundantly in the midst of suffering. Here's the second thing that I think is really at the heart of what Jesus is saying. Remember, his death is six months away. Six months away, Jesus is going to interpose his life. And this is what he says in verse 12. He says, I lay down my life. The enemy, the wolf is coming. The hireling's going to flee. He says, but I'm not going to flee. Not only am I not going to flee, I'm going to interpose my life I'm going to die for you. Nobody's going to take my life. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to lay down my life, he says in verse 15, for you. The wages of sin, everyone, is death. Now, we can define death differently, okay? We, we can define death as, uh, as eternal conscious torment. I just want you to know Jesus died. Jesus died. And that's that, you, the reason you're going to die, the reason why every one of you will die is because of Adam's sin and your own sin. Adam brought death on the world. Death was never part of God's plan. Death is God's, I mean, death is our enemy. And one day at the resurrection, death is going to be absolutely done away with. You know, death wears your sting. Death wears, you know, you're, it's going to be done away with because in the resurrection, God's going to raise us all to immortal life again. We'll never die again. But here's the thing I want you to know. Jesus was willing to die. However you want to define death, he died for us. He, he submitted himself to the punishment of our sin. The one who deserved not to die because he was not a sinner. He interposed his life and he died for me. And this is so important for you and me to understand. Jesus didn't deserve to die. He chose to die for Richard Cram. And he chose to die for Jimmy and for Joni. 
He died for me. He interposed his life. Verse 17 and 18, no one took his life. He gave it freely. He says, if he lays it down, he's also going to take it back up. And you know he did that, right? He took his life back. God gave him. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit gave him his life back. Jesus took his life back. And the Bible says God the Father gave him his life back. In other words, God gave him his life back. That's what, that's what the text is saying. Here's the third thing why Jesus is good. He knows his sheep. And I've already talked about this, so I, I, I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to belabor this. But, but to know that Jesus knows my name, that he, he actually knows my name and he knows me. And I'm not sure why that affects us the way it does. I, I remember when I was in college and Ronald Reagan was a candidate and uh, he stopped by our college on a, what do you call those things, a campaign stop, you know? Not very important at that point, but anyway, I'm, I'm on the student staff and so I, I had the privilege of, of taking Ronald Reagan all around the campus for two hours. And he was very personable, asked me all kinds of questions about myself and all. Two years later, two years later, we, I'm in Washington, D.C., he's the president, and I'm standing in the line right there, and, uh, and I'm, I'm not really yelling or whatever, but he sees me. And he, he leaves his bodyguards, and he comes over, and he puts out his hand, and he says, Jimmy, how are you? And he remembered me. He remembered my name. He knew me. That was pretty awesome. The God of the universe knows my name like that. Now, the truth is, guys, the only famous person I know is Jesus, and Ronald Reagan never did that. But if you believed me... <laughs> But listen to me, I did that for a purpose. And it was hard because I know I was lying. But anyway, so listen, listen, listen. So if you believe me, honestly, didn't you think that was pretty cool that Ronald Reagan, didn't you think it was pretty cool that Ronald Reagan re remembered me? I mean, this famous guy remembers me. And come, I mean, you thought that was pretty cool. I'm telling you, our Jesus, our God knows us by name. It's not Ronald Reagan, President Obama, President Trump. It's not, it's not any president. I mean, the God, the creator of the universe knows my name. And number four, last thing here, Jesus, Jesus is the good shepherd because he's always enlarging his flock. I mean, Jesus, Jesus wants a bigger flock. He, he, he invites all to be a part of his flock. Jesus said, I have more sheep than you think of. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Jewish leadership and he's saying to them, you know, guys, you think you think you are the only people of God. As a matter of fact, they were the chosen nation, but they they weren't even the people of God. Romans chapter nine says not all of Israel is Israel, not all of biological Israel is the true Israel, because the true Israel is made up of those who put their faith in Jesus or they put their faith in God and, and now consequently put their faith in Jesus. Right. And Jesus said, I have another flock and, and what's he talking about? He's obviously talking about the Gentiles. And he says, I have another flock. And, and in that flock, I have sheep. And those sheep are going to come together. This is what he says. And they're going to be one big flock. And that one big flock, guys, listen, it's the church. It's those of us who follow Jesus. It's those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. Jesus says, I, I've, got, I've got a bigger, I, I, I've got more sheep. And, and my flock is always always, the possibility is always there for it to grow. And those who don't suppress the truth, they become a part of God's flock by faith. I read this story about Peter Cameron, who was, or Peter Cameron Scott, I should say, who was the founder of AIM, the African Inland Mission. 
And uh, I remember, anyway, less chasing a tangent. He was the founder of AIM, and, and he, uh, he went to Africa twice and had to come back because of malaria and that sort of thing. He came back defeated once. He took his brother back, buried his brother, came back. Then the third time, he's, he's in London, not planning on going back. And he came across David Livingston. You remember the great missionary to Africa? Came across his gravestone. And on that gravestone at the Westminster Abbey were these words, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I must bring. And those words sent Cameron back to... Back to, the, back to Africa where he invested the rest of his life and made a tremendous impact. God, God has room in his, in his sheepfold for anyone who is willing. To all who are willing, you may come. Jesus is our good shepherd. Now let's look at the concluding, concluding verses in verse 19. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon. He's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And the Jews were divided. The ones that belonged to God, they were believing and they were coming to Jesus. The other ones were suppressing the truth of who Jesus is. And they were saying, he has a demon. And the other guys were saying, how can he have a demon? Nobody, nobody can open the eyes of the blind unless God does it. He cannot have a demon. So that's the text this morning. I want to conclude by just reminding you of where we started. And where we started was that the Bible compares us, if you would, to this one particular animal, the sheep. The animal that rolls over on his back and can't unroll itself and gases build up and it dies. Or the animal that mindlessly eats up everything and starts to eat dirt instead of going somewhere else to look for greener pastures. Or the animal that follows the other sheep in front of it and jumps off the cliff without even thinking. Can I remind you we need a shepherd? He compares us to the sheep because he says we need a shepherd. We need someone who is going to lead us. Someone who's going to keep us from just following the crowds and jumping off the cliff. We need a good shepherd who's going to keep us unto eternal life. We need a good shepherd, as broken as we are, who's going to lay down his life so that we might have abundance in this life. And there is a shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes to find you. So, would you bow your head for just a moment? So I guess, I guess the invite at the time, this time, this morning, is just a twofold uh, invite. And, and one is for those of you who, who Jesus isn't your good shepherd. Man, don't you want a good shepherd to lead you and guide you? who knows your name, who's going to keep you unto eternal life, who in this life is going to give you abundance so that the joy of life just fills your heart. And maybe you're here this morning and he's not your shepherd. I want to invite you to receive him. He said, but as many as will receive me as their shepherd, you know, to, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you are willing to receive him as your shepherd today, then, then he will give you eternal life and abundant life now. I want to invite you. You say, well, Jimmy, I don't know how to do that. It's real simply, just simple. Just believe. Believe in your heart. And just in your heart say, God, this morning, today, I receive you. I want you to come in and be my good shepherd. I, I want to come through the gate that is Jesus into the shepherd fold. I want, to, I want to be one of your sheep. 
Just tell him that in your own words. There's no magical words. There's just your heart crying out to him and saying, I want to be one of your sheep. So just right now, cry out to him. Say, that's what I, tell him, that's what you want. And some of you have done that. You know, you've said, hey, I want to be part of, the, I want to be part of your sheepfold, Jesus. I want you to be my shepherd. Well, the, the indicator, the, the public indicator of that is baptism. So if you need to be baptized, hey, you need to tell me today, tell one of the other pastors, hey, I want to be baptized. I want people to know Jesus is my shepherd. I follow him. And then most of you already follow Jesus. So, so here's the invite for us. Man, don't you love our shepherd? Don't you love our king? I really want to invite you to love him all the more this, this morning. And this, I'm going to be quiet for just a minute or two, kind of like normal. And just give you a chance to tell Jesus, our good shepherd, how thankful you are to him, how much you love him, how you want to worship him, how you want to, him to lead you, and whatever, whatever that Jesus, the good shepherd, has said to your heart this morning. Would you just take a minute in the quietness of this moment and you... Talk to the shepherd. I think it's the Psalms that say, be still and know that I am God. So don't be afraid of this still time. God, thank you for being a God whose who's glory is found in your loving kindness. Thank you for being an omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful God who's the creator of all things and, and who is our God. By faith, Lord, we believe that you have sent your Son and that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And we, we've come here this morning to worship you, Jesus. And thank you for designating yourself or saying to us that you are not just the true shepherd, the one that was promised that came, but you are the good shepherd who cares for us, who lays down his life for us, who... He's always willing to welcome more sheep into your sheep. Lord, we thank you and we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.